Hi. How are you today? Some of you are really good. Like I saw some waves and some excitement, and then I saw some sleepy heads. Oh yeah, kids, you're dismissed. It doesn't matter if I dismiss the kids. They're going to go anyway. But kids, you're dismissed. Have fun in children's church. Uh, a couple things for you. Uh, if you uh, missed it last week, we had our annual congregational meeting. We had an exciting meeting. We rolled out uh, an announcement of something that we are working on as a church, uh, a new phase of Together We Grow. Lots of you recognize that name, Together We Grow, from when we built this worship center. Uh, we're using that again because it's still a very apt description of what we're doing. Together we are growing as a church and enhancing our ability to uh, minister to our world. So we are excited about this campaign. If you missed the meeting and you want to watch it, contact us at the church office. We can get you a link to it. Uh, it's kind of family business, you know, so we, didn't, we don't have it uh, just publicly on the YouTube page, but it is there. So if you want to watch that, we will gladly email you the link for that. So let us know. Uh, and this week, it's really our desire that we focus on prayer. And I said that last week too, but... Uh, you know, we, we kind of dumped a ton of information on you last week. This week, we really want to make it our focus to pray together as a church. And I'm going to encourage us to, to blanket this whole process in prayer. But especially this week, it's our emphasis. Uh, you ought to hear more about that in your Grow Hour classes. Uh, those of you that are subscribed to our prayer chain, you're going to hear about it via the prayer chain this week. We really want to make a focus uh, of praying this week for our Together We Grow campaign. So will you join us in that and pray? We've got all sorts of uh, topics, specific topics in the packets we handed out last week, specific things to pray about. So please do that. I also want to remind you uh, that we are planning another uh, question and answer session. We had a real blessed time doing that uh, a while back last year. And so we are going to do that at the end of this sermon series. So keep that in mind. If you go to our webpage at bereanspokane.org, uh, right there on the front page, you'll see a square tile. It says fully devoted, the name of our current sermon series. And then below that, it says click here to submit a question. That's all you need to do. You fill out the form, and uh, we'll get that question. We'll address as many of those as we can, okay? So remember that. I uh, have the privilege of serving on the board of Grace Ministries International. A lot of the, the missionaries that we support as a church uh, are, are through Grace Ministry, Ministries International, through that agency. Uh, and because of that, uh, we meet three times a year as a board of directors, and those happen in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so I uh, fly off and back to Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's nice for me because we have kids that live back there too, uh, and grandkids now. Because I'm, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Man, I'm old. But grandkids are great. Uh, anyway, uh, I travel back there. In fact, I'll be doing that this week. Uh, looking forward to that. But when I go back, I typically rent a car. I like to rent a car at the airport there. Uh, it makes it nice to get around. There are probably people that I could borrow a car from, but it's convenient to be able to get around, to be able to get from uh, 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 where I stay out in Hudsonville, which is sort of a suburb of the Grand Rapids area, to uh, Grace Christian University, where we hold our meetings, to drive around. Sometimes I'll go check out the old neighborhood where we used to live. You know, it's just nice to be able to get around. So I like to rent a car, but I'm also pretty budget conscious. My last name is MacDonald. That's a Scottish name. We're cheap. 
So I usually look for a budget-conscious car, you know, because I don't need anything fancy. I just need something that can get me from point A to point B, and I can put a carry-on suitcase in. You know, my needs aren't real great. And so one time I, I was out there, and I rented, I had booked a car that was, you know how they do this. It says Hyundai Elantra or similar. What that means is you may or may not get a Hyundai Elantra. You know, I, I, you don't get to call your specific car typically, but it's that class of car, something similar, right? Think uh, just basic sedan, you know, not a large luxury car, not a, a tiny little compact car maybe either, but, you know, just kind of a basic sedan, Hyundai Elantra or similar. It's great. I walked up to the counter when I got there, and I said, I'm uh, here for my car. And the guy looked at me and he said, you want to drive a Camaro? Now, I live by a few simple rules. And one of those rules is that when you've booked Hyundai, a Hyundai Elantra or similar, and somebody asks you, if for the same price, mind you, no, no change in price, if you want to drive a Camaro, you say yes. <laughs> Period, right? And I had a lot of fun. Mostly legal fun. <laughs> yeah. we, we got an officer of the law here, retired, but nonetheless, he's always thinking, you know, he'll turn me in. <laughs> the next time I went out there, the same thing happened. Let, let me tell you, do you think I'm loyal to this car rental company? <laughs> yes, I am. Because I went out there again, and they said the same thing. Hey, we've got a Camaro. You want to drive a Camaro? Only this time, it was February. It was the same time of year as right now. Um, in February, as in Spokane, Washington, it's winter in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Arguably, the winter there is kind of like winter here, dialed up just a tad, you know? And so I thought, well, that sounds fun, but what's the weather going to be like? Well, and the guy at the counter, he said, well, you know, let me look it up. I don't think it's going to be bad, you know? And he said, nah, it looks like... Uh, we have a chance of snow Sunday afternoon. And I said, well, I fly out midday Sunday. That's perfect. Okay, give me the Camaro. The weather report was not right. The next day, we, there was sort of a heavy snow. And it was, it was one of those wet uh, lake effect snows, you know. It was very cold, but also very wet. And everything was slicker than snot. I don't know if you know this, but a Chevy Camaro is a rear-wheel drive car. It's also got a fair amount of power to it. Lots of torque, lots of power. I felt like I could touch the accelerator pedal and the wheels would start spinning and I'd start fishtailing. It was terrifying. Fortunately, there was a, a traction control knob. You could switch into to different you know, traction modes, so I shifted it into snow and ice mode. It made virtually no difference whatsoever. <laughs> It was a white-knuckle trip. The whole I mean, every time I got into the car, I thought, oh, my goodness. Uh, everybody else on the board with me, they laughed and guffawed. What are you driving that? I, I don't know. I, because when somebody asked me if I wanted to drive a Camaro, the, the value of driving a Camaro overrode the value of being safe on the road in that moment, right? <laughs> Values and priorities are... Are everything. And in that moment, what I should have said was, ah, on this trip, 
No, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Hyundai Elantra or similar, you know. I'm just going to play it safe and not, not, not get a modern-day muscle car that's got all of that torque in the rear wheels. But I didn't. I sort of chose a, a value system that was slightly different, and because of that, I was really scared for a few days every time I got behind the wheel of that car because I didn't want to wrap it around a pole. Uh, keep that in mind this morning as you open your Bibles We're going to start out in the book of John, but we have been discussing what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And we've used that phrase a lot around here. That that has really become sort of our mission statement, our driving motivator, that we as a church are all here together becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. And I, I often stress that word becoming. You know, this is a a journey. It's a process. There are some of you who have been walking with the Lord for decades and decades who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm still learning, right? I'm still learning what it means to walk more closely with the Lord, to, to look more like Him, to really be a fully devoted follower. This is something that we are all becoming, you know, and as we, we looked at last week, even this, this the quirk of, of Greek present tense where it's like be becoming fully devoted followers. And so what does that look like? And that's what we've been exploring in the first week. We looked just really naturally at the fact that a fully devoted follower of Jesus ought to look like Jesus. We started very high level, right? That that is, and this was well understood in the ancient world because this idea of a, of a disciple and, and a, a master was so much more common just in, in their world. But this understanding that a disciple would begin to look like their master. They would begin to look like somebody that they were following. Last week we drilled down a little bit more precisely and looked at this idea that a fully devoted follower of Jesus is obedient to Jesus and submits to Jesus as Lord. But I think there's another facet of this that I want to look at this morning. And that is this idea that a fully devoted follower of Jesus shares the values and priorities of Jesus. And this is a shade different from just obedience, isn't it? Now, don't get me wrong. I think that there is room in our lives for obedience for obedience's sake. Is that fair to say? I don't know if any of you heard it growing up, but do you remember this, this saying when you were, you were young, you know, if you asked a parent or maybe a teacher or somebody, why do I need to do that? Why did you tell me to do that? Why do I need to do that? Why do I need to clean my room? What was the answer often given? Because I told you so, right? <laughs> That's not a bad lesson for us to learn. I think increasingly in our society, we forget that, that obedience for obedience's sake is, is a good thing. It's a valuable thing. I don't want to dismiss that idea. However, I will suggest that obedience without values is sort of empty. It becomes mechanical. And sometimes when I was a child and I was learning to be obedient, my obedience was mechanical. You know, it was part of that learning process, right? Nonetheless, ultimately, it becomes something that's a little dead, a little stiff, a little legalistic, very mechanical. 
And a fully devoted follower of Jesus doesn't simply obey Jesus out of mechanics. A fully devoted follower of Jesus, part of the reason they obey Jesus, part of the reason they submit to Jesus is because they share the values and the priorities of Jesus. So what are those? Well, as I said last week, you know, there are a lot of things. I mean, this is one of the reasons that, that at times we make a whole series out of just studying one or more of the Gospels, you know. I mean, how can we be Christ-like when we don't know Jesus Christ very well, yeah? There are a lot of things, but I want to focus on just a few this morning. The first being in John chapter 15. I told you to turn to, to John, so if you're not there yet, Gospel of John chapter 15. We've looked at this passage before. We had a series on abiding in Christ, and, and this was sort of a, a central passage for us. This is this uh, context when Jesus is talking about abiding on him and being in the vine. But in verse 9, he says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. First and foremost... I think it's safe to say that our Lord Jesus Christ is known for love, right? That God demonstrated his love for us, Romans 5.8, in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This deep and abiding and unconditional love. And Jesus says, listen, I'm... I'm here to love you as the Father has loved me. I love you. I'm here to love you. In verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Right? But I think so much beyond that, he says here in this context, you know, this, this is the greatest love, right? And, and Paul writes a similar thing in Romans 5.8, as I quote Romans 5 there, that, that you know, a lot of people will, will die for someone they really like, for someone righteous. But God demonstrates his love in this way, that he died for us while we were still sinners. And, and here Jesus says, you know, this is the greatest sort of love, someone who will lay down his life for his friends. But who are his friends? Well, what Jesus starts to flesh out in his teaching is that everybody... I mean, everybody, when he says, you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, and somebody says, well, who's my neighbor? You remember the parable that he told? The good Samaritan, right? These Samaritans that were persona non grata as far as good Jews were concerned. I mean, they were essentially enemies. They really disliked each other. And Jesus tells this story about a love shown for an enemy. He, he teaches very explicitly, you ought to love your enemies. Right. And so when he says, a greater love has no one than this but to lay down his life for his friend, but then it, it, with the body of the rest of his teaching on what a friend is to Jesus, that this is the sort of love that Jesus exhibits. If you want to turn to 1 John A little bit further back. First John chapter three. 
verse 16 says the same thing. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And then look at what he says next. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This first and maybe chiefest value or priority that we see exhibited by the Lord Jesus Christ is love. I mean, I I don't know if you had to have one answer, if you could only give one answer, it seems like it would have to be love, wouldn't it? His love for the world around him, his love for people, his love for even those that, that on paper should have been his enemies, right? This is what Jesus was known for. And he doesn't just say it. He doesn't just talk about it. He does it right up to the point where he laid down his life for the whole world. This verse that we know maybe better than any other that's at every professional football game in the world, you know. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That whoever... Even the, you know, somebody we might look at, somebody his own disciples in their time might have looked at as the scummiest sort of person. Our God, our Jesus says, no, whoever believes this will be saved. That's it. Why? Because God loved the world in this way. A fully devoted follower of Jesus shares the values and the priorities of Jesus. Turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 20. And I'm going to back up. We'll sort of take a, a running start at this one. Matthew 20, I'm going to start in verse 20, just so you get the context of this. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, this is James and John. James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. I love these guys. But their mom came up. What a couple of mama's boys, right? (laughs) Mom comes up with her sons, and kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. In other words, she's saying, Can you give them some really great positions of honor? You know. And Jesus answered, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup? And, and, and he says, are, are you able? He's clearly addressing now James and John, right? You know, Maybe he's pointing at them. Are, are you, you think you're able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we're able. He said to them, well, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And then when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. So (laughs) you got the other 10 of the inner circle. They hear this happen. They hear these brothers make this request and mom come and make this request. They're like, where do you guys get off, you know? in the world? So now everybody's mad at everybody. But Jesus called to them. He called them to him and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them 
and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, and that's him, he's referring to himself here, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is perhaps very closely associated, but Jesus makes it really clear, I've come here to serve. And right now, even as he's training his disciples to to carry his mantle after he ascends into heaven, because he knows all this is going to happen. They don't quite understand this maybe yet, but he's, he's training them. And even now he says, listen, this is how you ought to be thinking. This is how I'm thinking. I have come to serve. You ought to be serving. Do you see he's telling them explicitly, this is my priority here. These are my values here. I'm here to serve you ought to do the same. And I love his grace. You know, he doesn't quite scold James and John. He doesn't, you know, shake his finger at their mom and say, how dare you? But he does kind of say, listen, this is something that is very worldly. And when he talks about this is something the Gentiles do, it's not necessarily quite a racial thing, I would argue, but it's more about the, I mean, this is code, you know, for the worldly, the, the secular system. And he said, this is the way things work. Everybody's striving for power and for influence. I want you to be different in the same way that I've been different. I'm here to serve. And I want you to think that way. Because in my kingdom, he who scrambles to be first is just going to be last. But those who serve will be first in the kingdom of God. See, he's setting a pattern. He's setting a, a mold. He's casting for them a better way to behave, a new set of values and priorities, which have to do with not clamoring for for power and for attention and for status, but instead to be humble, instead to come to serve. You remember that passage out of Philippians that said that this mind ought to be in you that was in Jesus Christ, which even though he was God, he humbled himself. He humbled himself to the place of of a servant even to the point of being put to death on a cross as a criminal. So Jesus says, I'm here to love. Jesus says, I'm here to serve. And then if you want to turn to Luke, spending a lot of our time in the Gospels today, because I just think it's fun to hear Jesus himself talk about these values and these priorities. Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse 42. 
This is after a, a very busy day of healing lots and lots of people. You can see starting in verse 38, there's a long line, day long, of, of Jesus healing people. It was tiring, you know. Verse 42 says, The next day when it was day, he departed and he went into a desolate place. And the people sought him, and they came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them this, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This good news, this uh, evangel, it's what the word gospel means. When we talk about the gospel, preaching the gospel, talking about the gospel, it, at its heart, it's, it literally means good news. And Jesus said, here, I, I, I've got a, a, a mission, and we're going to talk more next week about what that mission looks like, you know. But he just says, this is a priority for me, this preaching of the gospel, this is what I'm here for. And you can understand the, these people. There's a lot of excitement. What's interesting is there was frequently a lot of excitement, not necessarily about Jesus and what he was teaching. There was a lot of excitement about the healings, right? I mean, this is exciting stuff. People who had been crippled were suddenly able to walk. People who had been blind could suddenly see. People who had been deaf could hear and hear music. People who had been possessed by demons. Those demons had been cast out. There were all of these things happening. So many illnesses and sicknesses and, and infirmities. And Jesus just with a word can heal them. And so of course it's exciting. And of course they say, hey, maybe you could hang around here. There may have even been some industrious people who thought, I could build a great bed and breakfast around, you know, this... Hmm. They say, stay here. And Jesus says, no, I can't do that. Why? Because I'm sick of you all? No. Because I'm tapped out of healing? No. He says, what I'm really here to do is to preach this good news. And what you find over and over is that the, the, the real reason that Jesus is performing the miracles that he's performing is sure out of love. I mean, we see that based on his interactions with people that he, he truly loves and cares for people. And yet what he's really doing is, is legitimizing his preaching. He is legitimizing who he has said he was by backing it up with these signs that only God could perform. And then saying, now listen, here is the message. And he says, this message, I've got to take it to other places. That's what I'm here for is for the gospel. That's what's important about all of this. Healing's great. But the real priority here is the preaching of this gospel. So, no, I love you, but I'm not just going to stay here. Do you know how many other places I have to get to? I got to go, you know. <laughs> because these are his values and his priorities. How many others could we talk about? How many other 
angles could we look at here? But do you see how important this is, sort of hand in hand with this idea of obedience? Because obedience for obedience sake isn't bad. I, I, I want us to remember that. If you need to start out in a place of mechanical obedience, I want to suggest to you that's, that's a good place to start. But ideally, as we are becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that part of that becoming, part of, of looking like a fully devoted follower of Jesus, and not just looking like, but truly being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, happens when we share the priorities and the values of Jesus. You understand? Otherwise, it's just sort of going through motions. And I'm going to strongly suggest that Jesus was not simply going through motions. That's why he sits his disciples down numerous times. And we, we've just picked out some, some little conversations here. But numerous times he says, I'm not just loving you because I'm loving you. I'm trying to teach you something. I want you to love each other the way... I'm loving you. And so he sits them down and says, I want you to think of yourselves as servants the way I have even thought of myself as a servant. I've come to serve, not to domineer, not for status. I've come to serve this world, and I want you to think that way. As he trains them to take this gospel He's, he's training them all along in, in his final words. And then in the final words of the, the, the angel who appears as they're all you know, standing on a hillside, jaws on the ground, you know, staring up into the clouds where he's just disappeared. He says, okay, you guys, go get busy. Go. You got a job, right? He's trying to impart to his disciples his values. And I'll suggest to you today that we, as his disciples, that we, if we're listening, if we're attentive, I think we're going to find, no, I know we're going to find, that our Lord Jesus Christ is still attempting to impart his priorities, his values to us as his followers. And it's only as we share those values and those priorities that we begin to look like a fully devoted follower, that we begin to really be a fully devoted follower. And sometimes that's a journey. Sometimes that's a path. But that really becomes the sweet spot. That really then makes obedience, as we talked about last week, it, it, it brings it to life, you know. I read some time ago a story about, uh, or an article about the Eruv. Anybody familiar with Eruv? That word? It's not a word we really hear much. In a lot of major cities in the United States and, and indeed around the world, there is this thing called an Eruv. And you wouldn't see it unless you knew to look for it. And what it is, is it's a, a thin... It looks like a really heavy-duty piece of fish wire, kind of. But it's strung up across poles 
in major cities. Uh, in New York, almost the whole borough of, of Manhattan is surrounded by an Eruv. Why? Well, because uh, back in the day, as these Jewish communities were, were immigrating to and setting up in American cities, one of the things the rabbis uh, noticed was that, well, uh, one of the things that's prohibited on the Sabbath is to carry something. You know, the, the law says that there's no work permitted on the Sabbath. But then the rabbis, you know, flesh out, well, what is work? You know, and they really had it all fleshed out and, and all of these little rules. And I've argued before that may have sort of gone beyond the intent of the law as God gave it to them. But nonetheless, they had this rule, well, one of the things you can't do is you can't carry anything. But then that's hard. What that means is you can't go shopping because you can't carry a shopping bag. You can't carry a, a casserole to Aunt Millie's house for lunch. You know, you, know you, you can't carry anything. And so what an eruv is, is it, it is sort of a symbolic fence. And within that fence is home. Because that's what the rabbi said. You can't carry anything outside of your home. And so now the eruv becomes home. And so now home in the case of Manhattan, is like all of Manhattan. Well, that's great, because now people can carry stuff, and they can carry their casseroles to Aunt Millie's house, right? But do you understand how it kind of gets around maybe the, the purpose of the law in the first place? They were obedient, but they may not have been, I say may not have been, I think this is a modern day thing still. They may not be obeying for the right reason. They may not be obeying because they share this value that was given to them by God. That, that Listen, you're going to be working and toiling, especially as he's writing to a, a nomadic and a, an agrarian society at that point and says, you're going to be working hard six days a week. Talk to a farmer about their hours. You know, do, do farmers punch the clock at 9 a.m. and punch out at 5 p.m. just Monday through Friday, banker's hours? They don't. It's busy work, but God knows you and I. He created you and I. He knows us well enough that you, you guys need to learn to take a break every now and then. So one day a week. Don't work that day. Get your work done in the six days a week. Work hard those six days. But then this one day you carve out and you have this Sabbath. That that's what it was about. It wasn't necessarily about whether you could carry a casserole to Aunt Millie's house, right? You see the difference. This is not to beat up on those Jewish communities, you understand. But, but you see what happens when the focus is purely on obedience for obedience's sake rather than priorities and values that go into that law in that particular case. Do you understand? And I think we can obey Jesus, as we looked at last week, very mechanically. And again, that's not a bad thing. That's a great place to start. I mean, if you have in your head, you don't understand why Jesus told you to do something, but you'll do it anyway because he told you to do it, that's a healthy place to be. That old, if I tell you to jump, you should be in the air asking how high, right? And yet, that only gets us part of the way there. I think we really are fully devoted followers of Jesus when we truly share his priorities. How do you love people? 
I mean, the reality is this hard sometimes. It's really easy to love people who are really lovable, right? But not everybody's really lovable. I don't know if you've noticed that before. But there are some people out there who aren't particularly lovable. (laughs) At least maybe to you. Jesus still loved those people. Jesus indeed loves those people. Do you remember back to Romans 5.8? I mean, just how unlovable you are just by virtue of the fact that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner, that we all have this problem, and that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Hallelujah. That is the sort of love that he exhibits. And so when he talks about turning the other cheek and when he talks about loving your enemy and loving your neighbor, and oh, by the way, your neighbor is, you know, in this parable, a Samaritan, but your neighbor is kind of everybody, you know. It's not just the people within your community. It's not just the people from within your tribe that you really like. It's everybody. I came out of love for everyone, for God so loved the world. I gave up my life. Do you and I consider people that way? And I just said you and I. Never mind me, because you can't change me. Do you love people that way? Do you share that priority, that value? Do you consider yourself a servant as Jesus came, God himself, came and said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. If there has ever been anyone who has physically walked on this planet who did not deserve to be served more than Jesus, I, well, I shouldn't have said if there's, there isn't. I mean, I promise you, there isn't. Yes? And if you disagree with me on that, we'll talk later. But there is no one who has walked this planet who deserved to be served more than Jesus because he's God. He's the creator of this place he was walking on. And yet he says, I came to serve. I came to serve you. He has this passion for the gospel, which is, bottom line, salvation for all mankind, for anyone who would believe. Salvation, rescue, deliverance from the power of sin, from the power of death. And that that is what matters to Jesus. Does it matter to you? See, to whatever extent we are passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about, that is the extent to which we are fully devoted followers of Jesus. You understand? And here again, I think the idea isn't, you know, we so frequently look at something like that. We're like, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right, I've heard this before. I haven't been doing it again, so I'm going to really try to love more. I'm going to really try to have better loving thoughts about people. Well, okay, I I won't argue with you on that, but I want to suggest that Jesus has given you the power. He He has put his spirit into you. God himself has taken up residence in you. Once you're a follower of Jesus, immediately 
God himself takes up residence inside you and promises to you, among other things, that he will change you, that he'll alter you, that he will empower you to do all of these things. And so the, the best thing you can do is say, God, I am struggling with love for my neighbors. I'm struggling with love for my enemies. I'm struggling with love for this world. I'm struggling with love for my neighbor because he's just a bonehead and he drives me crazy. Whatever. <laughs> Will you put your heart in me? Will you help me to not just obey simply mechanically, but to truly share your values and your priorities. Because again, this is what would happen of a true disciple. As they grew up under the tutelage of a teacher, of a rabbi, they'd really begin to consider important the, the same thing, the same things that their rabbi, that their teacher considered important. They would adopt those things because they spent so much time with them, they'd just start to behave and think and tick the same way. And this is what this is really about. Do you and I tick like Jesus? Does your heart tick like the heart of Jesus? Because a fully devoted follower of Jesus shares those values, those priorities of Jesus. They share the heart of Jesus. And when the Bible talks about taking off the old and putting on the new, this is part of it. This is part of what that looks like. And putting on that new, and it's a whole new set of priorities that's otherworldly, frankly. But that is when we are truly, fully devoted followers. And so consider yourself. And here again, this is hard. Like I know I'm supposed to love people, but sometimes I get really impatient with them, right? I know I'm supposed to think of myself as a servant and, and serve other people, but I don't want to lose myself and my identity in that. You know, I want to sort of protect that sometimes. I know the gospel, the salvation for which Jesus came to the world. I know that's important and it should matter to me, but I, I'm just really busy and, and sometimes it's embarrassing and I, I'm shy and I don't have a, you know, let's put that one off or any number of other things. You need to address you. And fortunately, God will help you. God will continue to put his heart in you if it's not there now. And part of the problem might sometimes be that you might be relying on yourself to to try to create that heart in yourself when God says, listen, I live in you. I'll put my heart in you. You just get out of my way. Get your selfishness out of the way and let me put my heart, my passions, my values, and my priorities in your heart as you put on the new creature. Yeah, Let's pray. Our Father God, we praise the name of Jesus.
And God, I want to pause and consider who might be with us that may not have put their own trust, may not have given their own life to Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. And as we talk about what fully devoted followers of Jesus look like, the first step is just simply becoming a follower. And Father, if there's anybody here with us this morning who hasn't yet done that, I pray that they would do that today, that they would recognize today that you coming out of love, you coming as a servant, you coming for the the case of the gospel for salvation that has everything to do with them personally, not abstracted to a, a, a global level, but it was all about them, that you desire them, that you want relationship with them, and that you've called them to simply trust in you. And friend, if you're here this morning, I don't know what brought you here, but if you're here and you've never done that, there's nothing in the way of you doing that. God doesn't ask you to get right first. God says, you just come to me the way you are. I already did the saving. Let me change you. Father, for all of us, as we are in this ongoing process of becoming fully devoted followers, God, I pray that we have the heart of Jesus, that we have the, this shared set of values and priorities, that more, more and more, day by day, maybe hour by hour sometimes, that we can tell that we are being molded to look more like you, not only in activity, not only in behavior, in, in sort of a strict sense of obedience, but even down to our very values, our core, the things that we are passionate about, God, that they would be the same things that you are passionate about, that Jesus is passionate about. Help us to see where that's not the case. Help us to turn a hard mirror on ourselves and look at how Jesus loved and how we love. Look at how Jesus served and how we serve. Look at the importance the preaching of good news was to Jesus and how important it is to us. And God, where we need fixing, we pray you do that fixing, that you would put that heart in us because we want to be fully devoted followers. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.